is there a quantity that is too much? Like, how much are they allowed to have before it becomes? Again, I think it's a case by case basis. If I have a car with four people in it, and you got one person in the back corner just has bags and bags of marijuana, <laughs> and they're like, "Here's my car." It might be a little suspicious. I don't know, but that's. Welcome back. This is the Silencing of Stigma podcast. Another week means another podcast. We would love to thank you for tuning in to this podcast that challenges your thoughts and opinions about the different layers of challenges our guests share with you and I. We're here with our amazing guests to help educate and reduce that stigma or judgment. I would like to welcome today's guest. What's going on? How's it going? And uh, my mom's here with me. Hello. Let's, uh, let's hop right into this. Right. <laughs> Um, so law enforcement, yes, you're in law enforcement. What, uh, what attracted you to law enforcement? Like, how'd you get started? When I went to college after high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I decided to try criminal justice. Uh, had to do an internship to graduate and I interned at a police department out in Montgomery County. Uh, after riding along for a couple months, fell in love with the job and decided that's what I wanted to do. Sweet. We're at Montgomery County. Uh, Pottstown area? Oh, Pottstown. Mm-hmm. Did you see yourself being a police officer ever since you were little or no? No. No? Nope. Do you like the experience, the experience so far? I do. I love it. I've been doing it for about 10 years now, and every day is different. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. That's cool. Kind of scary. A little bit. For your family, too. Sure. So what, uh, what kind of challenges do you face being in law enforcement? Uh, that's again that's a day-to-day thing also it depends what we're dealing with uh with the current times now it's different than it was when i started 10 years ago i was gonna ask ever since all these crazy things have been going on lately probably a lot different it it is but it's just something we deal with and keep doing our job speaking of uh stigma what kind of uh, stigma do you deal with (laughs) i know like people call you pigs (laughs) (laughs) yeah if i get called a pig that's that's a good day. Uh, there's, there's been a lot worse. So, like, what else? Uh, you name it. You know, people getting upset if we give them tickets, if we arrest them, whatever they can say that they think is going to upset us, they're going to say. Um, yeah. It's just, unfortunately, it's part of the job, and we just deal with it and move on. Move do you have, on. Do you have continual training on this since all this is going on? Is there special training, or are you just? We've always gotten training on stuff like this uh, crowd control rights whatever um i wouldn't say we've gotten more recently we never really stopped getting the training it's just kind of more pointed now towards specific uh, situations so what is what is the hardest situation you ever had to handle uh that's that's a tough tough question uh there's been a couple uh homicides uh I was involved in an officer-involved shooting about two and a half years ago. Uh, that was difficult. Not me personally, but I was on scene. Um, and for me, anything involving children is difficult. Okay. What's, uh, what would you say one of the funniest things you've ever dealt with? Like a <laughs> funny story. Sure. The funniest story I can think of, uh, one of our local hotels, it's three stories tall. Uh, we had a gentleman who we believe was high on PCP and butt naked, jumped off of the third floor balcony through a car windshield, 
shattered both of his ankles. That's funny. <laughs> no, it gets better. He still butt naked ran across the highway. What? To a convenience store and started ripping car handles. Broken ankles? And broken still ankles running. running across the highway through rush hour traffic. Imagine what that looked like. Uh, interesting. And started ripping door handles off of cars and... He obviously wasn't feeling any pain because Correct. of the drug he was on. Yes. Clearly. <laughs> You're running off the highway with broken ankles. Right. That is crazy. You ever been shot at? Uh, yes and no. I, in my general direction, I guess you could say. Yeah. What's that experience like? In the heat of the moment, you're kind of just relying on your training. You're not really thinking, oh, crap, I'm getting shot at. You're like, so okay, here's what I got to do. And Adrenaline rush. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. I would never be a police officer. It, it's, it's not for everybody. Yeah. No. And, and actually, people are not applying for police office positions right now. Why is like, that? It's, it's not the pool that they used to have as far as people applying for a police officer okay. position. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I'd... it's a little bit hard right now. If okay. I had to guess, it's probably because of the circumstances this world has been through the last... Well, if you think about it, if your kid's in high school or even junior high and says, when I grow up, I want to be a police officer, what's, what's the mom and dad going to say? Oh, are you sure you want to be a police officer? Because sure. it's stressful. It is stressful. <clears throat> I don't think they get paid enough. Just my opinion, and I think it's very stressful. Yeah, a lot of everything we're saying is based off of our own opinions. Yep, absolutely. So, okay. Well, one of the things that we wanted to talk about is, um, and we go through this a lot, is the addiction part of it. Mm -hmm. So we've interviewed, you have not listened to any of our podcasts, but we interview a lot of people that are in recovery, um, been arrested most not all not of them all are in them. prison. Some of them are in prison. Some of them okay. aren't in prison. And one of the hot topics that I'm just going to get into it right now because I'm like passionate about this and I've heard different situations. So obviously, have you personally ever went to someone who overdosed or had to deal with that situation? N numerous times, yes. Okay, so that happens. So did you ever use the Narcan on them? I'm probably somewhere between 50 and 60 times using Narcan, yeah. In how long? In your 10 years or just... Since we started carrying Narcan about probably three-ish years ago. That many times. Yeah. And you assume, I'm assuming you go back to the same place sometimes several times. Yes. Okay. So three years ago, Narcan was introduced, is what you're saying? I believe so, is when my department started okay. to carry it, yes. So seven years without using any Narcan, have you experienced anything before that with addiction, overdoses without Narcan? Sure, there's always been issues with drugs and addiction and overdoses. Um, I wouldn't say to the extent that it is now. A lot more. Right. Since COVID, has it increased? I think it has increased okay. since COVID. Just people staying inside, they can't get out, they don't have anything else to do, I guess. Okay. So as a parent of someone who lost a child to addiction, uh, we didn't have a chance for Narcan back then, obviously. It, was, it wouldn't have worked anyway because we didn't know what was going on. But I know it must be hard. Like I, I sat in my bedroom window one night, and the police were out front, and I heard them yell, get the Narcan. And I don't know if I ever shared this on, a, on the podcast or not, but literally... The ambulance came, and I'm watching out the window saying prayers, like, because I can only imagine. Two police officers came out. They were parked in front of my apartment, so I could hear what they said, and they were upset. One was really upset, so I, I mean, not mad upset, but just upset at whatever they saw. And the ambulance came, and the ambulance left. 
So I was like, okay, this person, I mean, I heard him yell, get the Narcan. So I'm assuming they saved this person and then they left. He or she refused treatment at that point. Okay. I find that difficult for a police officer to have to witness that, go in there and see that and save somebody for that person to say, I don't want to go get help. And, well, as a, as a police officer, <clears throat> you kind of learn to compartmentalize things and you just, I agree with you. It's tough to bring somebody back who would otherwise be dead and then have them say, no, I'm fine. You can leave. Uh, when we first started carrying Narcan, and I don't know if this is uh, different for every EMS agency or not, uh, some, I think, mandate if you get revived with Narcan, you have to go to the hospital, and others apparently will say it's their decision. Okay. Because um, I know with Narcan, it, it's not a cure-all. What right. it does is blocks the, the effects of the heroin or the opioids from the brain. But when that wears off they could very well overdose again. Again. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was, like, torn with that because I've heard situations where some say they can be Narcan, like, maybe three times, and mm -hmm. that's it. I mean, like, three events, and then you don't Narcan, you don't go back if they get a phone call. And I'm like, that's a little tough. Like, that's <clears throat> kind of like playing God to me because maybe the fourth time that individual gets Narcan, it's enough for them to sure. want to be cured, not cured, but seek treatment i don't know where you heard that but i can promise you if we ever get a call we're going to go out and do what we have to do to save the person bring them back whatever we're never going to say you know what we were there two days ago he's obviously hasn't learned his lesson we don't care anymore that's yeah. that's never going to happen well you're always going to care sure but as a police officer what does that do to you like do you get angry at those calls like, you start to see the same person over and over again. You just kind of get used to it. You know, okay. I, in the jurisdictions that I cover, if we see certain addresses come up or certain names come up, we know before we get dispatched what we're going to have to do, you know. Okay. But unfortunately, we can't make the decision for those people to get the help. Get the help, right. So you we, offer it to them. You offer it to them. Sure. Like what happens? Do you give them a card to? Uh, I'm just curious. Like, not one more is a big organization. Okay. Do you guys pass cards out to these people who don't want help, or we we have information. Uh, okay. Generally, we give information to people that are with them on scene, whether it's family members, friends, something like that, okay. who are in a more coherent state. Okay. So, and then if they go to the hospital what typically happens they you just the ambulance just takes them there and then they don't have to stay there they have to stay there or i believe once they're cleared by medical personnel they're they're free to they're go, free to go. Uh, we went through a little phase where we would try to 302 them which is an involuntary commitment yeah uh, just to force them to get help so to say uh, but as you guys i'm sure are aware with addicts and if they don't want help mm -hmm. they're not going to get help it yep. doesn't matter if we force something or try to force something upon them it's not going to make a difference yeah we learned that they got to want it themselves oh yeah we've learned that i just but that was just something because to end that story a week later back came the police officers back came the ambulance and then the coroner came sure and i was like okay so now what you know, and then one of the girls came out in handcuffs, so I'm like, I don't know what that's about. Probably she was the supplier or whatever, okay. or she had a warrant or whatever. I don't know, but I was like, that's just traumatizing. I watched the parents pull up, and I was just like, 
Sure. And, you know, and, and honestly, the police officers were upset again, and I'm like, here we go. Like, yeah. And unfortunately, you, if you do it for long enough and are involved in enough of those kinds of calls, you kind of become numb to it and just it's another day, you know. And it sucks to say that, but it's kind of how it is. Did you ever take it home with you? No. Any of this stuff? You I don't. It? Okay. And my wife is always worried because she's like, you never show any emotion when you get home from work and she doesn't want me bottling it up and I would rather keep work at work. And then when I get home, I got my wife, I have kids, yeah. I enjoy them and not worry about whatever I deal with that day. That's hard and you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. So, okay. So how will you treat your kids? Like with drugs, like how will you educate them? Because right now, like that's what we're trying to do on this podcast is educate people. Sure. I guess I'm in a unique situation where I have firsthand knowledge of the effects of drugs on people. Uh, a lot of families, they read the stories and they can point to them, but I can tell my kids, uh, I've seen it. This is what happens. You get naked and jump off a third story, you know, building and run across yeah. the highway. You, yeah. you die in a car alone, whatever. You know, I have too many stories that I'm going to be able to tell them just the dangers of, of getting involved in that. And what age group do you think people should start educating? When you're out there on the road, what are the age groups that you're seeing more of now? That I'm seeing more of as far as people using? or yeah, overdosing. I would say it late, mid to late teens and then throughout the rest of their lives what's your earliest age that I've had somebody overdosed yeah. or I would say late teens okay yeah that's that's still young that is very young we're it trying is. to figure out when do you start educating like do you educate in the junior high do you educate who knows I don't know that there's I don't know that you could be too young um, I mean my children are younger, but if something comes up, I'm comfortable talking to them about it. If they have questions, you know, I don't think you want to shy away from it and say, oh, don't worry about it. You don't, it's, it's not going to affect you or whatever. And, and that's the stigma right now where people say it's not going to happen to my family. And honestly, that couldn't be further from the truth, um, specifically with opioids and heroin um, and other drugs. It doesn't care, you know, male, female, young, old, white, black, it it doesn't make a difference. If, if you get hooked, you're, you're hooked. I think it's important, the, the relationship you have with your children, as far as can they be open with you. Sure, I agree with you that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot of kids out there afraid to, to talk to their parents because of what they might do or the punishments or anything like that. Are you talking huh. more of if, if they've tried something, yeah. if they're afraid to? Even if they okay. tried one time and they're like, hey, like I'm, I'm hooked now, like, but I can't tell my parents because maybe they'll freak out on me or they'll kick me out. or Just having that open relationship with your children, or the, I think, is a big key. Well, it's super important. Yeah. Absolutely. And if my children came to me and said, hey, Dad, I tried this drug, yeah, I'm going to be pissed off. Yeah. You know, I'm going to react angry, but... I'll calm down and then talk to them, and, and I think they know that, so. It's tough. I mean, you remember Steve on that podcast when I said Kyle never came to me, he shared everything with me about everything is girls, is what they did with girls, and never once told me that he was, like, I thought he would have asked me. And then one of our guests, Steve, said, he's what, what kid is going to go to their mother and say, 
I'm using heroin. Sure. Like, they're just not going to say it. They just don't want to hurt their family member. So we were fortunate enough, Kyle didn't steal. He didn't do any of that stuff. So that we, we know of. That, well, uh, okay. That we know of. He never got caught. He never stole from us. Yeah. I mean, in some situations, they steal from their families. Sure. They steal anything that they can to get that fix. And we never experienced that with him. So it was, it was brought to my attention. I don't know if it was you or not, but um, some people believe that going back that third, even second, third, fourth time to that same place, your attention is towards them people. What about the other people that are in serious danger that you might need to seek attention to? Do you guys have enough um, police officers to take care of both things at one time? or Are you it, talking like if we go to a scene and there's two, three people overdosed? Or? No, I'm saying like what's more important that you overdose or like another scene like, like a, a heart attack so a lot of people say while you're out saving that person for the third time that night somebody across town could be having a heart attack or you need to save has one a time. serious issue and you're taking your response time away from that person because you're dealing with this situation again well that's that's a tough question I mean, both are medical emergencies obviously um and we are in the line of duty is we're saving lives. Uh, so they're both called medical. They're they're both medical emergencies, medical calls. Yes. So that's how it comes up, basically. And and for my department, at least, we have enough officers on duty at any given time that we could send okay. one wondering. or two to an overdose, and then send another one to assist EMS at a heart attack or whatever. Because I know that was brought to my attention. Sometimes, like some people yeah. think that that why why waste your time that second or third or fourth time with them when there's somebody else that needs help. Right, and, and I understand that thought process. It's, you know, I think a lot of people had the idea, well, they made the decision to do this. That person didn't decide to have a heart attack. Yeah. You know, it's kind of how they look at it, but we can't look at it that way. You know, somebody is going to die if they don't get help, mm -hmm. so we have to go out. And I think that's more of an issue probably for your emergency medical services, your ambulance and stuff like that, because there's not as many of them. So They're struggling right now. I just are. saw a special on TV where police officers and even even firemen are having to step up more sure. because EMS is not available. Yeah, It's a lot of volunteer work with the firemen and the, and the EMS. And I've been on numerous just general ambulance calls where the fire department gets on scene with us, and then a couple minutes later the ambulance gets there because they had to leave the hospital first and come out. And, yeah, it's a hot mess. Now we have all this violence going on as well. Sure. Guns, shootings. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. I'm mean, at the local park just the other day. It's, it is crazy. It is insane. And I don't know what the answer is for that. So. Is it young people? Is it older people? Is it gangs? That's going to be a question for a York City police officer. I mean, just in as general, that, what you see? As far as what I see, it appears to be younger people. Um, I can't say if it's gang-related or not. I have no idea. It could be. It could be just personal issues just between issues. two people. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because that's what we hear about. Like, they tell us we would be shocked to know how many gangs that's there are true. in our area that we would be shocked to know how many. Yeah, that's true. And it's younger ones with older ones and... Right. I mean, it's different. You have the overdose, like back in the day, it was like cops and robbers, like they robbed stores and stuff. Literally today, there's shootings, young kids shooting. Sure. 
and we got these motorcycles in town, these four wheelers in mm -hmm. town that are just wreaking havoc. They're yeah. it's just crazy. They come right at you. Yeah. And God forbid if you hit one of them, like. Yeah, they just swarm. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's like it just blows my mind. It's just so much. It's crazy. So. I think a lot of it has to do with social media and and what they're giving to you on the news, because these young kids are watching this and they think it's okay. Sure. A lot of it has to do with the news. Yeah, but how do we get different? Like, everybody was officer-friendly before. Mm -hmm. Now it's young kids. It's 12- and 13-year-olds that have no respect. And I, I think a lot of that starts at home. Yeah, you know, we were talking about parenting, I guess, a little bit earlier, and I think a lot of that has to do with that. And I know a lot of it has to do with a group of friends or who you, you as a person decide to hang out with, and mm -hmm. that'll determine pretty much what road you go down. Yeah, I agree. We gotta figure it out. How many uh how many times you get trained on like addiction and Narcan and stuff like that? Like is there a certain amount of hours you have to keep up with? Not so much hours. We get uh, once a year we go through Narcan training again. As as far as the police are concerned, it's we carry little four milligram cartridges that we shoot up somebody's nostril. It's not difficult to okay. use. Do you have do you carry that all the time in your car multiple every shift doses? every shift we carry uh, our narcan kits which is we have gloves we have uh two of those four milligram capsules that we have and then if you're using it do you go back and restock on your shift if you use it or yeah if okay. we'll have a supervisor on scene they'll give us theirs so there's always some yeah. okay yep what else I don't know. I'm just intrigued by the whole thing. I just bring on the questions. Like, how do you deal with the person on the drug? Well, like, and, and that's actually interesting. Um, like I said, as far as Narcan, I've, I've probably used it 50, 60 times. And I think every person reacts differently after coming back. I've had people just still be out of it. I've had people, you know, thanking me. Thank you so much. You saved my life, whatever. I've had people pissed off at me because I ruined their high. You know, That's the first time I heard someone say thank you. Like, we always hear people that people get they get pissed off because yeah. it, it, sure. it reverses that high. And generally, they're upset. But but yeah, I, I have had people that and that, and that may not be from heroin over. That might be okay. Anything that else. that might have been even an accidental overdose on prescribed medication or something like that. But uh, yeah, I've had people upset because we ruined their high. I've had bystanders ask, "Hey, where'd they get?" the stuff that they use because they want to try it because it seems like a good high you know obviously it worked well um, so that's we learned that too like literally you think you would be afraid nope but you want to know where it's at and the fentanyl is crazy mm -hmm. right now because yeah. you, you want to try and get a better high because again that's that thought process i'm not going to overdose on it i'm just going to get a good high and i'll be good to go yeah they seek it out yep What's your thoughts on heroin users? My thoughts on heroin users? Like your opinion. Sure. Um, oh, that's a tough one to answer. I think there's, well, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I, there's a bunch of different ways people get involved in it, I guess. I know a lot of it starts with completely legitimate purposes. They get prescribed medication for an injury, whatever. They run out. They don't know what to do for their pain, so they resort to a street drug, whatever, to take away the pain. Uh, I said earlier, 
choosing your friends is very important. I think a lot of people start that way. They get into a group of friends, they get pressured into trying something. Maybe they don't want to, uh, but once you do specifically heroin one time, that's it, you're hooked. Um, I, I have a family member who was close to me. He got hooked on it, and I think that was because of the group of friends he decided to hang out with. Um, he's doing well now. He's gotten away from that life. He, he moved away, which I think is important, and I actually use his story at work all the time because uh, families are always asking me for answers. What can we do for so-and-so? And I, I kind of tell them the story of my family member. Here's, here's what they did. It, it worked. And obviously we can't guarantee it's going to work for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's any number of reasons I think people get involved in it in the first place. And I don't have an opinion. There's still people. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's this law. Mm-hmm. So if you go somewhere and they're overdosing, anybody that's there is i don't want to say free but lots of times people go like you like you hear stories my son would still be alive but they left him there to die because they didn't want to get in trouble so there's some type of law now where they don't get in trouble oh i'm glad you brought that up that's called the good samaritan law okay and and the whole point of that is exactly that Uh, whoever calls in uh, we need to get information as to what they took how long ago anything like that to better help us assess the situation, whether or not we need to get into the hospital or, or what, whatever we can do. Uh, basically, the Good Samaritan Law says that you cannot be criminally liable or charged uh, for use of drugs, possession of drugs, anything like that, if you call 911, if you stay on scene, and then give all of your information. So if, if, if my buddy's overdosing, I call 911, say, hey, they're at this hotel and then I leave, I would still be criminally liable as would the person that was overdosing if they had needles or whatever with them. Uh, Same situation, I call, say, hey, my buddy's overdosing, I'm at this hospital, I stay on scene, I lead ambulance police to the person, give all my information, I can't be charged with anything and the guy that's overdosing can't be charged with anything. Even with the paraphernalia in the room and the drugs in the room. Correct, yep. That oftentimes we, we take it, we destroy it, so it can never be used again or whatever, but we don't charge criminally. And you and that individual that was just using, you just let them walk away? like, Or do you try to seek help for them? or? We'll offer them help. Okay. Um, generally, they, they want to avoid us at all costs. Um, but we'll, we'll call for rides if we need to or whatever we have to do. How many times do you think that person stays? Is it frequent that the person stays with them? Uh, I would give it a 50-50 shot. Okay. And I wish people, more people were aware, because I don't know if people know about this Good Samaritan Law or not. I was going to say, if they're This is educational, right, on this podcast. It'll help people understand. But what if they're the one that brought it to this hotel, as you're saying? Doesn't matter. So if they're like like the dealer... That might be a little bit different. If they're the ones that distributed the drugs that caused the overdose, okay. and if they, they die, that something like that is not covered under the Good Samaritan Law. Okay, so if they carried the drugs into that hotel room. Passed it out. Is whatever. that considered a dealer if you bring it to a friend and the two of you sit down and use it together? I have no idea. 
is that a deal or is that just a friend who's bringing i don't know like what's the definition of a deal? you know what i mean like i think there's got to be an exchange of money or something like that that's kind of a gray area that we take on a case-by-case basis yeah all right because that that was always my question if you came there and you carried it with you. You bought it from the dealer out in the parking lot. No. You're technically not the dealer, but if, if you, you brought it a, in. If you go to a bonfire with a group of five friends and one guy brings marijuana and everybody smokes it, they're not a drug dealer. Okay. It's, yeah, they're just one of the guys. And okay. yeah. I think 50-50 is pretty good because I would have thought that less would stay. Right. Just because now you know their face, they know that I'm using, and they're going to go out in, on the Route 30 or wherever and wait for me. To get in my car and they're not going to just like forget me. Right. And well, back to the Good Samaritan law, that doesn't cover everything. I've had uh, overdoses while people were driving. You know, I charged them with DUI, stuff like that. So it's it's not a catch-all. It doesn't cover everything. But yeah, as far as the paraphernalia and and stuff like that, you're not going to get charged if you're cooperative and and help us out. And do you go to court on that? On? Do you have to go to court like if that stuff happens? If we don't charge anybody now, then nothing happens. No, nope. we okay. we destroy the drugs, we destroy the paraphernalia, and that's that's the end of it. That's good to know because a lot of people don't know that, sure. and they're afraid. And I've had different stories. Different people tell me my kid or my son or my friend would still be alive today. How many people do you find in cars and hotel rooms sure. and stuff? You know, because people do run and away. And w- while we're being educational, before I forget it, uh, we were talking about people overdosing Narcan and then they refuse to go to the hospital. Uh, if, cause a lot of people have their personal Narcans mm-hmm. cause they have family members that they're worried about always call 911 and have them checked on for the, the sole purpose of if you Narcan them and they come back great, but there's a very high chance that they could overdose again and then you're out of Narcan. And so it's, it's always a good idea. Even if you use your own Narcan to call 911 and have them checked out and, yeah and get them checked out. Yeah. i have narcan i've never used it i'm hoping it's easy to use if i ever have to use it i would assume you probably um, have similar I have stuff two sprays yep. in a box yeah. that i keep with me i hope i never have to use it but that's a that's a good point because yeah. if they have one box at home and they use mm-hmm. it and sometimes they get angry like you said right. and they're going to use it again as soon as they're saved like they're going to use it again we've heard from people on our podcast that they know they might die and they still do it like sure. it's hard for us to understand because we don't do that but that's important to mm-hmm. to do you ever leave narcan at a, at a location do you ever say i'm gonna leave this they're refusing to go get treatment so i'm gonna leave this here in case it happens again no uh, at least at my department we don't do that because all okay. of ours is supplied by the county uh, okay. so it's not up to us who okay. we want to hand it out to and stuff I and mean, as far as i know and you might even be able to give me information on this as to how people get their own personal is that something that's so different there's like different pickups like you'll see on facebook you can pick up free um, I got mine from Not One More. I know Not One More supplies it um, when they have it. They spend quite a bit of money, I think, on Narcan so okay. that they can supply. But you see the Race Project in York um, gives out free Narcan. You'll see every once in a while on Facebook. I try to. We have a Silencing a Stigma page, and now that I start seeing that stuff, I try to post it on the page okay. too so that people know where they can pick it up. And normally it's advertised pickup free. Um, I'm probably thinking at the York Fair this year, they'll probably have some type of way to get it. 
Okay. I know at one point you had to pay for it. Like you could go to the drugstore and get it and pay for it. But I know there's so many different ways to get it free now. Good. Okay. That the, yeah. And that Not One More is a good group. I don't know much about it. I'm going to attend their first meeting um, in a couple of weeks. I met up with one of the co-founders of it, and they do a lot. I know some of the police departments were handing out their card okay. um, to people at, at, you know, at the homes or whatever if they don't know what to do. Okay. Like, here's an option, and they do a lot. They also will pick somebody up and take them, give them rides. Or, so that's a, that's a good organization. Okay. Um, but, yeah, not one more does give Narcan out. I don't know how or what. Sure. But they always make sure that somebody can get it if they need it. So that's interesting. So we got the, what's the Good Samaritan Law? Good Samaritan Law, right. Just hope people don't use that to like their advantage or anything. Like, well, how would you use it to your advantage? That, that yeah. Because you're really taking a risk. Yeah, I mean, basically, what it comes down to is, if your buddy is overdosing, nothing bad is going to happen to you. If you call nine one one and get them help, that that's the sole purpose for it. Because people, like you said, are hesitant to call because they're like, crap. And I've got a needle with that, me. Is that with exactly. any drug or is that just heroin? Any drug. Any so drug. Yep. Pills. Well, that's, that's even good to know. Yeah, pills, anything like that. Because now we heard, and I, I didn't go to college, but like, there's pill parties where people bring pills to a party and mix them in a bowl and people just grab from them and they don't even know what they're taking. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. That's insane. Other than my kids won't go to college, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's... It, it's a lot. Speaking yeah. of college, do you get a lot of calls from schools? Uh, the area that I cover, we, we don't have any colleges, universities. We have a couple. I cover a larger area. We have a couple school districts that we have a few schools in, at least. And we have school resource officers that, that handle all the situations at school. Do they have a lot of them? Do you know? A lot of overdoses, like as far as I know, I don't know that we've ever had an overdose uh, with a student or something like that. That's I, good to know. I think more than anything drug related, it's a little bit of marijuana, something like that, at, at our schools. You guys looking for a dog? K nine? <laughs> we got one. <laughs> I, I wish we could. <laughs> need some training. I wish we could. I don't think my department's going to be getting one though. It, it would be nice. Well, that's the weird thing is. The marijuana issue, and that's funny that you bring that up because, as you know, there's so many people on medical marijuana sure. cards. Do you, do they show you that if you pull them over? Because it's federally illegal, but the state says it's legal. How do you handle that? That, that whole situation is such a gray area still. Uh, medical marijuana has been a thing, what would you say, about a year-ish yeah. now, something like that. But everybody's yeah. getting the card. Before, Every, sure. it was hard. Now, you can hear the advertisement on TV for oh, absolutely. $250, and you can get your medical marijuana yep. card. Um, if they have a valid card, I mean, we can't arrest for whatever they're possessing as long as they have a reason to have it. Uh, now, you still can't be under the influence while driving. Okay, so at this point, it's kind of a lot like alcohol. Okay. Um, and I think in the maybe near future, uh, or at some point in the future, things are going to start changing with, with marijuana. My personal opinion is it's probably going to be legalized. And when they do that, they're going to have to determine, like alcohol, how much is too much that you can't safely drive, and how do we test for that. And So there's, there's a long way to go as far as marijuana is concerned. But if you pull someone over 
and they you find marijuana in their car mm -hmm. and anybody in the car has a card are they all cleared and is there a quantity oh, i'm just curious like i'm just is there a quantity that is too much? Like, how much are they allowed to have before it becomes? Again, I think it's a case by case much. basis. If I have a car with four people in it, and you got one person in the back corner just has bags and bags of marijuana, <laughs> and they're like, "Here's my car," it might be a little suspicious. I don't know, but that's it's crazy, yeah. though, right? Because oh, yeah. when I think of marijuana, I think of that little baggie with that green stuff sure. in it. Yeah. And I have a friend who has a card, and she was showing me some of her stuff, and it's insane. There's like pens. Oh yeah. There's like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and there's different kinds. Right. Like if this does this for this person, and this is for this to treat this, and I'm just like. Yeah, I don't know any of the science behind no, any of that. It's it's crazy. Yeah. What they have, and so you can be in a car, and it's not like smoking a. No, I call it a joint or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they call it anymore today, but but you literally can do that. Right. You can't drive with it. You, but your passenger can be sitting next to you in your car, right, and doing it. Technically, yeah. That's just blues. I can't even smell the stuff. Like people are like, you smell that? I'm like, I don't smell. I don't right. Smell. <laughs> it's pungent. But it, it, yeah. it is totally going to be different. It is. Yeah. It. I don't know what's going to happen with that. There, there's a lot that they need to... It's not as simple as, okay, it's legal now. It, there's a lot of moving parts that Absolutely. they need to figure out. And I think the DUI rate is going to skyrocket. Well, and I can tell you from personal experience, I don't know if 50% might be a little high, but close to it, if we arrest somebody for DUI, alcohol, let's say, there's a very good chance there's going to be marijuana or some other kind of medication, drug in their blood as well. We run into that all the time. So it's mostly, so it's still some alcohol. Sure. I mean, alcohol is still prevalent. I mean, it is drinking and driving with alcohol, but it, it used to be if we thought they were under the influence of alcohol, it was just alcohol anymore. And you it's could smell it. It's alcohol, but there's most likely going to be something else in there. Also, is there a test that you do? Like, if you don't smell alcohol, but they're totally acting erratic, and it's like something they have to be on something. Is there something like so? Now they have to walk a straight line for alcohol, or whatever. Sure. Do you do the same thing for drugs. You can do the same thing for drugs, and then we also have uh, specialized training that I don't know how other departments do, but most of my department goes through it. It's called A Ride. It's Advanced Roadside Impaired Driving Enforcement, which looks at marijuana, opioids, uh, any kind of narcotic you can think of, different signs to look for, different tests you can run. So if we think they're, if they're super hyper and maybe they're under the influence of cocaine, we have different things we can look for. Or an opioid, if everything's just super slow, we can test for other things. And Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to learn. Yeah, it's a lot more than just walking in a straight line, turning, walking back, and then standing on one leg. It's, it's a little more advanced, and a lot of it has to do with the eyes that we look for for that kind of stuff. So. so if the pupils are dilated, is that good or bad? I always get that mixed up. If they're pinpoint? Yeah. Or di uh, dilated. Way. Dilated is wide open. Uh, that's normally a cocaine, an upper, okay. something like so that. So it's a pinpoint. Constricted pinpoint. That's going to be your heroin, your opioids. Yeah. And then no change with marijuana. Okay, so it's okay. But with marijuana, you're going to be super red around the eyes and 
Yeah. Okay. A whole bunch of stuff to look for. Yeah. Which it's actually very interesting training. So when you pull someone over, do you take them to the hospital for testing or? Uh, that kind of depends. Uh, they can, if, if they're arrested for DUI, you mean? Yeah. They can refuse a blood draw, which is when we have to rely on our training and what we saw. Uh, but the majority of the time, if, if you talk to the person the right way, they'll, they'll give blood and then you just kind of wait for the results and charge And you still it. drive them to the hospital? Or do you... If it's crash-related, we got to go to the hospital. Um, if if it's just a regular DUI arrest, central booking uh, down in the city where we take everybody we arrest, they have a phlebotomist on scene. Oh. So they, they draw the blood there, send it out to the labs, and makes the whole process pretty easy. That's interesting. Yeah. No DUI checkpoints anymore? I can't remember the last time we had a, a standalone checkpoint. Uh, because just, of COVID? I don't know. I, I've heard maybe because of that, I've heard uh, some possible legal issues people have brought up as far as stopping every vehicle that comes down the road. Okay. Uh, the National Highway and Traffic Safety Administration sets up a lot of roving patrols, which is we sign up, we go, we just drive around. So it's not like we're stopping every car. We're looking for violations, probable cause to stop cars and trying to get DUIs that way. Yeah, they stop a lot of cars on North George Street. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> and then they say, do you know why I pulled you over? <laughs> Does anybody ever know? Never. No. They never say. Everyone says, no, I don't. Right. <laughs> I'm no. not sure. It was I'm never not, them. I've yeah. never had one person say, yes, I went through that. The speed limit there is 35, and they, okay. they catch them okay. doing 35 there. But, yeah, I said my apartment lit up, my bedroom lit up at least three times a week because they pulled people over out front and uh, for suspicion. It was a lot of it was... The registration and the inspection stickers sure yeah like they use that as a well and that's honestly well specifically if you're looking for duis registration inspection headlights taillights that are broken if you're intoxicated you're going to be watching your speed you're going to be watching swerving on the road but you're not going to pay attention to okay my registration expired <laughs> two weeks ago <laughs> or my right brake light is out i can't drive home from the bar or whatever so Okay, another, I'm doing all these questions, Austin's just sitting here, but I do have another question. What goes through your head when you pull somebody over? Do you, because you don't know what you're going to walk up on. Sure. Well, okay, yeah. So like, from the time you, get, you get out of your car, from the time you get out of your car to approach someone mm -hmm. or, or another vehicle, what is your thought process? Just being vigilant. Honestly, they, they say, and I agree, that traffic stops are the most dangerous thing that we do on a daily basis uh, that in domestic situations but as far as traffic stops you know when we see a violation we turn our lights on from that point forward we're watching them through their rear windshield uh, see if they're look like they're reaching for something throwing things in the car out the window whatever um, and then before we approach the car we tell our dispatcher our location license plate number how many people are in the car stuff like that so that way, our dispatcher and the rest of the guys we're working with know where we're at. Um, then we're just vigilant, just watching them as we walk up. Do you run a tag before you get out? Because sometimes there's a delay before they get out of their car. Sure, some guys do. Okay. Uh, I, I generally will run it in the computer, and then I'll go up. That way it's ready for me when I get back to the car. 
if there's a delay, it could just be somebody else was I on the radio. I thought maybe they were waiting to see if it's a stolen car it or could be. something like that. Generally, well, and a lot of times I don't turn my lights on until I run the tag and get okay. it back. And yeah. So you follow. So that's why they follow them for so long. Sure. Um, I played detective looking out. My it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious. Like, okay, what are they doing here? How are they doing yeah. this? No. If, so. if, if you have a violation, you know you're going to stop a car. There's nothing wrong with following them for a little bit to try and get more probable cause, especially if you think it's a DUI or something like yeah. that. No, that would be the scariest thing for me is getting out of a police car and walking up to another car. It can be nerve-wracking, and that's uh, especially on midnights. We have the big spotlights in the front of the car, so we light it up as bright as we can so we can see, one, and two, if they look in their mirror, they can't see, you know, if we're approaching yep. them or anything like that. Oh, that's like true. That. Yeah. So. Unless you're in a big truck. Unless you're in a big truck. <laughs> oh, that's a big truck. <laughs> next time, if I could pull it over, we'll start throwing random shit out of the window. <laughs> you can go for it. It probably wouldn't end well for you. <laughs> There were cash out the window or something. Uh-huh. You can try. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. That doesn't work either. What, did you ever have somebody that you arrested that you knew, that you didn't know, but that knew you knew somebody else like, or said, I know so-and-so Sure. and try to get off? Oh, yeah, all the time. And that's a discretion thing. It, it's funny that everybody has an uncle that works with a former <laughs> roommate from New Jersey. I got a question for you. Yeah. Your job has to be mentally exhausting, right? Sure, it can be. What do you do to, to cope with that? Oh, that's tough. Again, turn it off you when you, when you, you leave go, work. You yep. go home, you don't talk about it. At the end of your shift. Do you ever talk about it, though? I do, yeah. I mean, you get a lot of funny stories that I'll talk to people about. My yeah. wife, she can normally tell what kind of mood I'm in when I get home, and she'll know if I don't want to talk about something, I, I won't talk about it. Uh, but... 99% of the time, my wife saying, how was the day? Oh, I dealt with this person today. We did this. We did that. I won't tell her certain things just because she tends to worry and stuff like that. But generally, again, talking about it helps just get rid of everything. Okay, one last topic for me. So we talked about addiction and people and drugs and mm-hmm. DUIs and things like that. Is the mental illness increasing the calls for mental illness increasing you're talking like mental illness and suicide okay um i don't think there's been an increase i don't think it's slowed down i think it's it's pretty much been about the same from from when i started okay i mean there's times throughout the year where every year it it does increase around your holidays stuff like that people get lonely depressed whatever Uh, we we tend to see more calls like that uh, but generally speaking, I don't think there's been a rise or a decline in the number of calls we handle like that. Are you trained on how to handle that person now? Because a lot of in the news is about people being mentally ill, and that's why they're doing the things they're doing, and these police officers are reacting irresponsibly because they're mentally ill, people that they're dealing with. Every one of those situations is different. Okay. Uh, and I haven't read a news story regarding any of those situations that, you know, the people writing the story or telling the story have actually been there and then seen everything that's going on. It's true. It's so easy to read an article and say, oh, well, he should have done this. They should have done that. And unless you're actually there dealing with, you know, a suicidal person or somebody who's, let's say, schizophrenic or whatever the case is, who's acting erratically uh, violent, 
there's really no easy answer on how to handle that. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to not get violent in return, but we have to control the situation. And mm-hmm. that sometimes involves us going hands-on or grabbing them or, or doing whatever we have to do. You know, and there's a lot of talk about maybe using social workers to handle calls like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a terrible idea to have them go in first because a lot of the people we deal with are armed with, you know, knives, guns, weapons, whatever. And uh, it, it's, it's a safety issue. You can't have somebody who is unarmed, who's never dealt with a violent subject like that, go in and try and talk to them because, frankly, a lot of those people cannot be talked to. Um, so your suggestion would be let the police officer try to handle it and they're the backup versus absolutely. they go in first and you're the backup. I, I think social work, I, an excellent resource, absolutely. But I don't think they should be going in there until things have calmed down and are less volatile. Because it's, I don't think it would end well a lot of the times. Well, especially if the person doesn't self-admit they have a mental issue. Sure. And then all of a sudden you have someone there telling them that they're crazy or whatever. They, however they're going to approach that situation. Right. And I'll use the example from, you remember Lancaster. Uh, the officer went, somebody called for a family member who was schizophrenic and having an episode or whatever. And as soon as they got on scene, the, the guy came out with a knife and started lunging. It, what's a social worker going to do in a situation like that? It's kind of what I'm saying. Because you, you don't know until you get there and deal with them what kind of interaction you're going to have. So. Yeah, that was one of my questions. They announced, uh, they had a press conference where they were having, br- they had bracelets okay. that would identify people with mental illness that they would wear them voluntarily um, so that the police officers would be able to recognize in the situation that this person has had issues mm-hmm. in the past. And then also the people that are trained, the police officers or whomever, had training, special training on dealing specifically with the mental um, issues. And we definitely do. Uh, every year we have training for stuff like that. Uh, we do, they're called updates, uh, set by the Pennsylvania, basically I guess they're in charge of municipal police officers. We get mandatory training every year, and, and every year just about it, there's a portion of it that has to do with mental health and how to deal with, with those kinds of situations. I was going to say, you have to be equipped with a lot of different, like, I don't know, information because you, oh, yeah. you don't ever know what your scene's going to look like that day. You sure. don't even know what you're going to encounter that day. You don't know what you're going into. Absolutely. Yeah, that blows my mind. I, I don't know if I could be a police officer. I mean, we need police officers sure. when they talk about defunding the police, and I don't think people really understand what that exactly means. Right. Well, um, I think they realize really quick that it doesn't work and it's not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and... You know, they say some police officers are cocky and some aren't, and you have that in every field. Sure. Like some people are and some people aren't. But it's interesting. I appreciate everything that you shared with us. No, absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to ask us? or? I, I don't think I have any questions. No, I appreciate okay. you guys inviting me on here to talk. And you want to ask for my license or anything? <laughs> I'm going to wait for you to throw cash out of your big truck. <laughs> <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, um, you know, I'd love to come back whenever. I, I enjoyed talking about all this, and I think it's good for people to hear, yeah, at think, least from my perspective, because a lot of people have no idea what it's like. I was going to ask, why did you want to come on? For that reason? To educate? Yeah, kind of just to get information out there. Because, again, that. yeah, nobody, nobody really knows what we do other than 
us. Yeah. You know, people just see us, we're like, oh, they're going to go arrest that person, whatever. And, and it's, it's so much more than that. And we, we truly do want to help people. And that's yeah. like with anybody, like we, we put labels on, I don't like labels because once mm-hmm. you label something, you, you label everybody under that same label. So if sure. you say a police officer, everybody, somebody might have a bad experience with one police officer. Now everybody's bad. Yeah. So that's. And generally we don't deal with people on their good days. It's, you know, yeah. when that's, shit's that's hitting point. the fan or, or when you know, it's their worst day. That's a good point. That's when we deal with them or they're getting arrested or a traffic ticket or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. and like with any profession, like you just said, there's going to be guys that honestly shouldn't be police mm-hmm. officers mm-hmm. they're in for the wrong reasons whatever uh but it's kind of it, it is what it is we we do what we can to get them out of the profession yeah it's difficult i think sometimes the news media to your point earlier you alluded to like they weren't there from the beginning they only pick up bits and pieces and it really depends on the reporter what that story is going to tell sure I mean, it can be a terrible police situation that was actually another person's opinion would be that it was handled correctly. Sure. It really depends on what that news person wants out of it, what rise they want, and what group of people that they want to sure. that they want to attract. And it, it's hard. And now with the body cameras, do your, does your department have body cameras? We do. Okay. I love them. Okay. It actually helps. Absolutely. Because now you can watch the body camera. I, I've had several complaints against me. Um, and when they make the complaints, our supervisors tell them, I'll, I'll take your complaint, but understand there's body camera. And if you're lying, you could possibly be charged with something. Do you still want to make the complaint? Oh, no. Nope. Never mind. That's no, bo- interesting. Body cameras have, have saved me quite a few times. And if you're doing your job and you're doing You've it correctly, got to worry about. you shouldn't worry about that body camera. Absolutely. I, I love having the body cameras. We started with dash cameras, and then we went to them plus body cameras. So everything we do, every interaction is recorded, and it's, it's helped out immensely. That's good. Yep. What about the license plate thing? A license plate reader. Yeah. She's, that, she was telling me a little bit about that. Like, does that read it? And tell you where that car's been. She says it could been. tell you where it's been. Like I don't think it tells you where it's been. Yeah, uh, we see, we don't this... have them, but as far as I know, you can attach them to the cruisers, and it'll read out owner information, expiration, stuff like that. Okay. No, it's not like a tracking device. You see, you're so full of shit. It's not even funny. I'm not. I just heard that. Well, you heard wrong. Okay. Yeah, you heard wrong. Okay. <laughs> No, but I want to, I want to say thank you for your yeah, service you. for helping people. And I appreciate that. Job. Thank you. And I mean, if you think about it, he saves lives. Narcan. Absolutely. Saves a lot of different lives out there. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Text we, us. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you coming. Uh, one of the big things that people should take off out of this is that good Samaritan law. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. if we can save a life. Yeah. We, we don't go to those calls looking to arrest people. We go to them looking to help whoever needs help. Yep, Honestly. That's awesome. That's awesome. And somebody, family member, friend's going to be appreciating that if that if you can save somebody. Yeah, too many I hope people, so. Too many people run and leave them, and it's sad. Yeah, I, I agree. So, well, guys, okay, well, thank this you. is the Science Thing Stigma Podcast. My mom eventually will learn how to talk in the mic, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks again Cut for it. coming on the podcast. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we'll have to listen to your stories afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Catch you on the next one. All right, one. guys. See you. Bye. Alrighty.